As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm your host, Andy Bitter, Virginia Tech football beat writer at The Athletic. This week, we're going to do the Atlantic Division. We have Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer, on to talk about the Tigers. Then we're going to swing through every other team in the Atlantic Division, uh, talk about the all-important issue of which team is going to finish second place to the Tigers this year. Uh, I joke, but I don't really joke. That's how good Clemson's been, and it sort of feels like all those other teams are always playing for second there. So good conversation with Grace coming up. We'll swing through, hit every team on that half of the conference. Before we do that, I did want to talk about this piece of news that we had this week on The Athletic. Uh, Max Olson, one of our national writers, breaking this news uh, last week. Uh, sort of felt like a Friday news dump that uh, people were trying to get that out there, and uh, Max caught wind of this. The Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC are engaging in high-level discussions about an alliance. Uh, that's right, we have alliances forming in college football in reaction to what the SEC has done in adding Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, of course, my first thought of this whole thing, because I'm just glued to TV, is to think of The Office back when uh, Dwight is proposing an alliance with Jim in The Office, and Jim's response is, absolutely, I do want to form an alliance there. Uh, talks on this, it's not just about scheduling from the sounds of it. That's one part of it, possibly. But they sort of want to have this voting block. Uh, college football is going through a very important uh process coming up about to determine the future of the sport there's going to be college football playoff expansion there's going to be ncaa governance issues if these three conferences come together and form one voting block that could be a very powerful uh, voice in that room and maybe a counter to the sec just charging ahead and sort of running everything which i think is the fear uh, you see this uh, adding of these two schools, these two you know major brands in college football. I think everybody in those other leagues is afraid that they're going to get poached next or the SEC is going to have the loudest voice in the room as it has had in college football lately and just sort of run the show. So perhaps this is a way to, to seize some of the power back in this whole uh, process. I, I think 
if you're the commissioners of these three conferences, and they're all fairly new guys running the show in these leagues, is that they they feel like they have to do something. There has to be some sort of response uh, to the moves that the SEC is making. And short of expansion, which I don't think any of these leagues are really all too about when you look at the, the Big 12 leftovers and the other a uh, group of five teams that could possibly move up into one of these leagues. I don't think that's really all too appetizing for them. So this is, is maybe a response that's not as serious as that or, or not as uh, big of a change as that. Scheduling, I, th- I think you could get better non-conference games in having this uh, alliance like this. Maybe that could be something that you can work on. You can see more uh, intra-conference games like that, those early season games that everybody uh, really loves playing. Uh, Although I do have to wonder how that will be received by some of these teams, considering that every time the ACC proposes going from eight to nine games, all the coaches for certain schools throw a hissy fit about having to play those. So I don't know how uh, eager they will be to go, oh, we're going to go play Ohio State in the non-conference. So we're going to go fly out to USC in the non-conference and play that game. I think the bigger part of this is the voting block and the power you can have in sort of shaping the future of college football. Okay, joining us now to talk about the Atlantic Division is Grace Rayner. Grace does a fabulous job covering Clemson for the Athletic for us. Grace, how are you doing a couple weeks into preseason camp so far? I am doing well. It's nice to have preseason camp that we can watch again. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. Is it normal? Are they, How is Clemson doing interviews? Is it Zoom interviews? Is it in person? Does it feel like you're preparing for a season unlike last year? It does feel like we're preparing for a season, which has been awesome. Uh, we started in person, and um, Dabo Sweeney actually surprised us on the first day and gave us two fully open practices, which this is my fifth year covering Clemson, and I had never seen a full practice, let alone two of them, so that was awesome. And then we continued in person, but then, unfortunately, we had a media COVID-positive test, so we have since been on Zoom and are finishing camp out in zoom well as close to normal as it feels like it might get it always kind of bounces back to reality like that i feel like it's gonna be like that at a lot of places uh well since we have the clemson expert on the podcast i mean we're gonna talk about clemson a lot because clemson blots out the sun when it comes to the atlantic division i mean there's just (laughs) no getting around it it's it they win it every single year it's not especially close uh so we're gonna ask a bunch of questions about clemson before we hit the other teams in in the division I guess my biggest question with Clemson right now is what is the biggest storyline there? I mean, this is a team that lost in the national semifinals last year, 49 to 28 to Ohio State. I'm sure that still stings for this team. Uh, went 10 and 2, made the playoff, but this is a team that judges success by playoff victories in national championships, not necessarily just ACC championships. I'm curious what the mood is uh, like around Clemson and uh, just sort of what the thoughts are there. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at this Clemson team, and of course, there is significant turnover on offense just because you lose Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, but. You look at this team across the board, especially defensively, and it's I think it's one of Dabo's deeper, one of his more talented teams. I think that the defensive line is, I've said this all camp, I think that we will see if they are as talented as the 2018 group that won it all, but I certainly think that they're deeper already. And so 
I think you look at this Clemson team and and they have all of the pieces and they're coming off of two not only losses in the playoff but two blowout losses in the playoff. So I think they're eager to to kind of pick the pieces up, but certainly they have all the tools that they need to go compete for Davos third title. Well, let's start with that defense because I think that's the interesting spot on this team right now. You mentioned that defensive line and I read the story you wrote about it a couple days ago. Uh is there any chance this group could be as good as that 2018 group that you mentioned? That I mean, they produced draft picks all over the place. That was such a reason uh, for this team's success. And does this team need that defensive line to be like that? It seems like they had to, you know, I read reading the article, they really had to send the house to get pressure last year. Can they do that with just a front four again this year? I think they need this defensive line to look closer to 2018 for sure. In 2019 and 2020, it was just, you know, they were young up front and and the numbers kind of tell the story. Like you said, they they really had to get creative in manufacturing that pressure and blitzing and in a way that in 2018, you know, you look up and down the line and the Power Rangers are just dominating uh, every single play. But I really do think, I mean, I think that this defensive line, you look at the... First of all, Clemson has five defensive ends that could start, I think, anywhere in the country tomorrow. Second of all, assuming that this line has Brzee, Davis, Murphy, and then I'm going to go ahead and say Xavier Thomas, that's three former top 10 recruits just on on one line. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this group is is just loaded, and it feels like they've been building and building and building towards this, but... Yeah, I think it's definitely the best line we've seen since 2018. And then if they're as good or better, uh, we'll see. But so far, they've been as as advertised in Dabo Sweeney's words. Yeah, to sort of put in perspective how good that defensive line is, Jordan Williams transferred to Virginia Tech, the team I covered, and he's expected to be you know among their best defensive tackles here. They're really looking at him as a, a veteran guy and a stabilizing force in that line. He probably wasn't going to play all that much I mean that's a big reason why he left that room so you're talking about going to another ACC school and being one of the key guys Nick Clemson he's he's maybe an afterthought uh it tells you how stacked that defensive line group is I want to pause for a second to go back to that Power Rangers nickname because I never (laughs) I I never followed it close enough I never thought knew that that was what they were called uh was that a nickname they came up with themselves yeah, so this started with Christian Wilkins, a super, super fan when it comes to the Power Rangers. And so this was kind of his baby. And it and it started when he his love for the Power Rangers kind of seeped into Dexter kind of picks it, picked it up and Cleveland picked it up and Austin picked it up. But I think the crowning moment was when all four of them and a couple of backups like crammed their 300 plus pound frames into costumes and rang the doorbell um, at Dabo's house and Venables' house on Halloween, ready to roll fully decked out as the Power Rangers. So from there, it, it just kind of stuck. I suppose I vaguely remember that. That's one of those things that goes in your head and kind of leaves, but uh, to yeah, hear yeah. it, it's just, just <laughs> jarring to do it again. Switching over to offense. Uh, the big question is quarterback. I mean, you don't lose the number one pick in the draft and Trevor Lawrence not have at least some questions about your quarterback. But at the same time, it feels like a lot of those questions are already answered in how DJ Uyangalale played last year when he was uh, called upon to step in. Threw for 342 against Boston College, 439 against Notre Dame. I mean, these are huge numbers. And I realize he's such a star recruit when he came in, a five-star guy. And people just sort of expect him to pay, you know, take the baton and just take off with it. Uh, 
is it going to be like that? Is it going to be that seamless of a transition, or do you feel like there's going to be you know some rough spots along the way? Well, first of all, I'm very impressed that you got Uyunglele correct on the first. You might be the first host I've been on that got it right on the first try. I had to do I'm it for a breaking impressed. news uh, report last year, and for like 20 straight minutes, I was just like burning it into my brain to try to say <laughs> it correctly. So I'll screw up every other name on this podcast, but I will get that one correct. You will get Uyunglele correct. Um, Transition-wise, you know, I I think that it will be as smooth as it can be. You know, in hindsight, we did get a look at DJ. It was a small sample size, of course, but you don't go to Notre Dame as a true freshman and set a record for most passing yards ever thrown by an opposing quarterback against Notre Dame ever and not have some sort of poise and some sort of moxie and charisma that, that Clemson needs as they're kind of continuing this playoff train. I, I mean, I think that... It's going to be natural for all of us to compare DJ to Trevor, fairly or unfairly. They're different, um, but I think that the thing that they have in common is the poise. They process extremely well. That's been something that coaches have really raved about with DJ is just owning the offense this offseason, really getting a good hand, handle on it. Um, and, you know, he just – I think the thing that's cool about DJ, and, and you might have heard this at media days, is – is this is a guy who just doesn't get stressed out by anything, and I legitimately believe him. Like, he just has this kind of cool California vibe, and someone was asking him about pressure, and he was like, you know, pressure is feeding your children, making rent, you know. He just has such a, a, a big-picture look, and football is not is not one of those, those pressure-filled activities for him. Well, I remember him after, I think it was after the BC game last year, and he's answering questions in the Zoom. He's just like calmly sipping a soda like, like between <laughs> answers. Like it didn't even bother him whatsoever. I guess you have to sort of have that mentality uh, as a quarterback and just kind of let some things go off your shoulders. You said he's different from Trevor. Uh, how do those two differ just stylistically as quarterbacks? I think they both have the big arms, but I think that what – I'm most interested to see is just how Clemson uses DJ as a runner. I mean, physically they're just different. DJ is, he weighed in at 247, I believe a couple weeks ago, which uh, Dabo was calling him little Cinco at that point. He said he'll start calling him big Cinco if he gets back into the two fifties, but he's just bigger. I think that Tony Elliott had said last year that they thought that DJ was, they could use him as a runner kind of more like they did Taj Boyd. Whereas with Trevor, they used him kind of in the same way as Kelly Bryant, Deshaun Watson, um, and then I'm just curious to see how DJ plays within Clemson's system. I think that that's something that they've really harped on this offseason is that if it were up to him, he would just throw the deep ball every single time, go downfield and show off his cannon arm. But they're kind of trying to make sure he's understanding, take what the defense gives you, play within the system, and then that kind of opens things up for him and gives him a little bit more freedom. What world is 247 little? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I, I covered Cam Newton. I think he was 6'6", 250. I covered Logan Thomas. I think he was 6'6", <laughs> 250, 240, somewhere in the range. Those are enormous people. Like, slimming down yeah, to 247 is probably probably a good thing. I think if you're a quarterback and you're up over 250, I think even Cam Newton and, and Logan Thomas, when they played, would say that was probably too big. So uh, maybe going in the right direction if it's under 250 <laughs> in that. Uh, you know, he wasn't the only guy in the backfield that they lost, though. I mean, Travis Etienne was just a constant there forever. Uh, ACC's all-time leading rusher, uh, scorer, I believe, as well. How do you go about replacing a guy like that who has been the guy for, for three years in the backfield there? 
to me, that's the biggest question of Clemson's offseason as we kind of head into Georgia. Because at these other positions, they 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 would lost very little, first of all, on defense. And then we secondly, of course, we knew what, what, what Clemson kind of had in DJ. But I don't know. I think that we are, as of recording this podcast, we are, let's see, what is today? Tuesday? Tuesday. Um, the days all okay. blur together at this point, they don't they? They certainly do. <laughs> um, we are about two days removed from Clemson wrapping up camp. And I don't, I don't know that Clemson is going to announce and or have in their mind a, a starting running back at that point. It's been the first team reps have gone to Lynn J. Dixon, the senior, and Kobe Pace, the sophomore. They love Will Shipley, the five-star freshman. I really do think that he'll be involved early. Um, I think if history tells us anything, Lynn J. would get the start against Georgia just because when, when competitions are kind of open up in the air, Dabo tends to go to the older guy. Um, but I really do think it's possible we see this running back approach be by committee all year long. I just don't – I don't think they have a Travis. I don't know that they necessarily are going to ask someone to be Travis, but I think that they really could rotate these reps all year. You mentioned Shipley. He was such a, a big-time recruit, five-star guy. Uh, I believe they, they beat out Notre Dame uh, to get him for that. What does he bring to the equation? What style of runner is he, and how, how do you think he could maybe fit into the offense this year? A lot of people have compared him to Christian McCaffrey, who he's actually worked out with because he's he's from the Charlotte area. But he's just so versatile, and he's just he just doesn't. First of all, Dabo has said many times he just doesn't look like a freshman. I mean, he's he's big physically, but also he just is learning everything so quickly. He's absolutely smoking everyone in sprints. Like it just it seems like he's very competitive and, and kind of has all his ducks in a row. But I think the big thing with Shipley is that you can you can use him as a receiver. I mean, tra- that was something that Travis struggled with. Like, they would never consider throwing him a pass as, as a freshman. He just – he ran the wing tee in, in high school. So I think that with Shipley, you can use him in many ways and and um, definitely use him as, as a threat in the passing game out of the backfield. I'm curious, d- does Clemson need to shore up something – in the running game, I mean, even if, even though it had ETN last year, it didn't run the ball great. It did at times, but it, it wasn't something that you could just sort of set your watch to. I, I look at 4.49 yards per carry last year. It was 58th nationally, 7th in the ACC. And we, when we think about that, and we think about how good ETN was, you wouldn't expect those numbers. You'd expect them to be a bit better than that. Is that on the just sort of the style of the offense? Was it something with ETN, the offensive line? What was, uh, I don't want to say a miss because those aren't bad numbers, but they're not like sure. top of the country numbers. I think it was the offensive line. I mean, and, and this group has heard, has heard that and, and they've acknowledged that. But you look at Clemson's offensive line last year and they had – I believe six guys that Dabo like actually legitimately trusted to play. They just didn't have the depth that they need. And they didn't have the depth that Dabo has been pretty frank about that they needed to, to win a national championship with the offensive line. So they were better um, with, with passing than they were with running. And they just, the run blocking just was never completely shored up. Tony Elliott had said midway through the season, we need more out of these guys on the interior um, I think the good news for this group is that they returned three of their five starters and they really did some pretty good work on the recruiting trail. They've got some some freshmen who they feel pretty strongly about already. But I do think that Clemson fans are going to are going to want to see something different with that because you're right. You have a running back like Travis. You expect him to be able to do a little bit more than he did in his senior year. When you're in our business, you're always looking for good feel good stories. Uh, guys that sort of overcome something. Justin Ross is exactly that, uh, getting cleared to play. 
I believe. Is he back yet, or is he still going through COVID protocols before he can resume? He is back. Yep. He had to go through kind of an acclim. I can't ever say that word. Acclimization. Do you know how to say that word? Acclimization period. Acclimization. Something, something like weird that. Too. He had, so to, have, I can't he had to go through either. a couple of weeks where he was acclimated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So his, I think, um, I think Dabo said it was five days. Okay. So he joined um, camp on Friday, the, what day, what day was that? 13th. And then, um, has been acclimating since then and is but yeah he's ready to go he's been he's been medically and legally cleared well he missed last year congenital fusion in his spine they discovered it it sounds like something that was from birth that he had and they just didn't know about it uh this guy 1865 yards 17 touchdowns in the two years he's played how big of a difference does getting somebody like this back make it feels like the returning receivers they had have potential but maybe not quite the numbers uh certainly that Justin Ross has put up in his first couple years yeah I mean we saw Justin in in his freshman season he had a thousand receiving yards which led Clemson's team and he never started a game and he just he did so much of his damage in the playoff you know his game against Notre Dame against Alabama I think this offense is a completely different offense with Justin Ross available I think that he is the hands down the best weapon that that DJ will have I think Justin Ross I mean look I know that we could we could probably have a debate about it but when the athletic asked us to put in our preseason all-american nominations despite not seeing Justin Ross play since 2019 I I nominated him I think I think he's that good and I think he's that much of a difference maker for Clemson's offense looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, we are now two and a half weeks out from the start of this season and it doesn't get bigger than this Clemson Georgia opener this is from our uh, Jason Sterrett one of our stats maestros uh at the athletic here Clemson hasn't lost a season opener since 2014 at Georgia Georgia hasn't lost a season opener since 2013 at Clemson this is what college football should be all about in these early months a top five matchup uh, between these two teams September 4th in Charlotte so that's even better it's at, at a neutral site like that uh Kind of break down this matchup for us real quickly. What are you looking forward to most in this game, other than just seeing a competitive game for once? Yeah, so I, it blows my mind that this is the first top five season opener of Davos Sweeney's career. I mean, I just think that that is crazy. So th- that's what I'm most looking forward to. But I really think that what's cool about Clemson opening with Georgia is that usually it usually Clemson's marquee non-conference opponent is in week two, and then they kind of skate through the ACC. And it kind of takes a little while for us to figure out, okay, what is this Clemson team going to end up looking like? Because there's only so much you can evaluate against, you know, them beating Furman by a hundred. So I think that's what I'm the most interested about is that we're going to get like a legitimate competitive, what is going to be the DNA of Clemson look at this team in week one, which in my five years covering Clemson, I haven't yet gotten. So I'm curious to see how DJ handles it. I think he'll be fine. I'm curious to see what the offensive line looks like. And then I guess I, I guess I'm most curious to see, all right, what do they do at running back? This could be a playoff preview. We could see both these teams back in the playoff at the end of the year. I think that's what's so 
enticing and enjoyable about this. And I'm glad that this, the regular season and the playoff now is set up so that you can have these kind of games uh, and they play them more often without going, oh, well, we can't play that because if we lose, we're out of the playoff. I mean, if, right. if, if either of these teams loses, they can climb back in. Um, mm-hmm. Any early predictions on how this one might go? I haven't even seen the line. I, I, have, uh, I haven't know what the either. line is. I was going to ask you about that. I, I should have done my research coming in to know what the line was <laughs> on this game. I think it's Clemson by a couple of points. I think uh, – actually, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Um – my prediction, I mean, I I do think Clemson wins this game. I think it's close. Um, but I just think that they have I, – I think this defensive line just, just makes all the difference for this team. This defense returns 9 of 11 starters. DJ Had, had DJ not played against Notre Dame, I would, I would maybe say, ooh, I don't know. I'm a little curious to see how this goes. But DJ has kind of showed us who he is and – I think the not that it completely. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but I do think Clemson wins. I think it's close, but I think Clemson wins. Clemson by three is the line, which sounds right. I don't know. Vegas knows what it's doing in these situations. That sounds right. Yeah. It? All right. Well, we've covered Clemson quite a bit here, so this is the the key question to swing around the rest of the Atlantic Division. I know you have a wealth of knowledge about these Atlantic Division teams. You see them each for about a quarter every game, and then you start writing (laughs) after that because Clemson is winning 35 to nothing against whoever they play. Uh, This is the question I struggled with at the ACC kickoff. You know, we have to turn in our ballots on who's going to be the second-place team and put them in an order of finish in the Atlantic Division. I didn't really know who to go with here, and I'm curious who you went with uh, as your second-place team in the Atlantic Division. Okay, well, I feel like I'm probably going to out myself now because um, your girl missed the deadline, so don't tell the ACC, so technically who my vote would is Who count. would you have put second then? <laughs> okay, who would I have? I think I would have gone NC State, and... I feel like that's what did they get? They they had 800 and whatever points. I mean, I think that NC State returns, if I'm not mistaken, 18 starters. I'm not convinced NC State's even the best team in North Carolina, let alone uh, the Atlantic. I, I still think that there are teams in the coastal that are better than NC State, but that's that's who I would have put. I would have put states. That was a team I considered. Here was the, the predicted order finished by the media there. Clemson, obviously. NC State was second. Got a first-place vote. Whoa. Interesting. Uh, Boston College was next. Florida State was fourth. Wake Forest fifth. Louisville sixth. Syracuse seventh. I think everybody agrees with that. I think I went with... I honestly think I went with Wake Forest. I'm trying to remember. I was going to say, I think Wake is a little low on this. They're a perennial sleeper. And I, yeah, I think it's are. colored by the fact that every time I watch Virginia Tech go down to Wake Forest, Wake Forest beats them in some ridiculous fashion when they shouldn't. Uh, and I sort of feel like that's Dave Clawson's MO there. Like, he gets the most out of that team. That's another team, 18 to 22 starters back, 9 on offense. Yeah. Uh, I look at Sam Hartman as the quarterback, pretty good. Christian Beal Smith as the running back. Uh, Ja'Cory Roberson is outstanding as a receiver. The question is that defense. Can that defense right. stop anybody? Uh, NC State and Wake Forest head to head, like that's an interesting comparison between the two within the same state. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily so much a believer 
in what Dave Doran's doing there as much as I am in Clawson. I don't know why. I don't know if there's necessarily like statistical proof between those two uh, that one is better than the other. But if you're comparing those programs, what are your impressions of those programs uh, when you've seen them play Clemson? Yeah, I mean, so I, I had our Wake Forest State of the Program this year, and Clawson was joking about how he was joking with Dabo about how Wake played Clemson closer when they were a bad team versus when they're a good team. Wake sees Clemson in the um, pen, uh, penultimate. I always get that phrase wrong, too. I'm learning today. I get, like, a lot of words and phrases wrong. <laughs> they, they see them in November. And so Clawson was saying that it's Wake Forest's goal that that game means something, that there's – something at stake there but it's just so different because I think when Clemson and and Wake play I personally think Clawson is the most underrated coach in the ACC and I think that kind of like you were saying they kind of sneak up on people Hartman's really good like I think when they play the score is always pretty lopsided but it's a team that you can maybe kind of see climbing Clemson and NC State play it's always dramatic in some way or the other it's either coming down to that field goal or or Doran is the laptop thing. And then Dabo has the sideline card with the laptop and then stealing of the towels. Like it's just never, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the actual game between Clemson and NC state, I guess is what I'm trying to say. takes a back seat to the out outside theatrics, if you will. If I were to, to ask you how many years you think Dave Doran has been at NC state, what do you think it is? Um, I think that it has been – I think he was – was he hired in 2014? I'm trying to do the math in my head. This is his ninth season at NC State. State. It, it does not feel like he's been there nine seasons or nine, eight seasons yeah. going on nine now. And I'm always curious about that program because I look at how they did last year, and, yes, it was an eight and four team. And everybody's like, well, NC State on, on their way to doing it. It felt like they beat everybody they should have and lost to everybody they should have. They avoided Clemson and Notre Dame. They lost to Miami, mm-hmm. UNC, Virginia Tech pretty bad in the opener and in the Gator Bowl to Kentucky. These were the teams that they beat last year. Wake Forest, Pitt, UVA, Duke, Florida State, Liberty, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech. And I look at that, I go, well, the best one is probably Liberty. Out of all those, and that's right. on a blocked field goal at the last second. That was a fun game. And even Liberty, I, I don't think, is was all that good last year. I think they had a good record, and I know they beat Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech wasn't all that good last year. I, I just have trouble believing that NC State is for real. Now, I give them a little bit of, of credit because they have so many starters back. I think they have something with Devin Leary at mm-hmm. quarterback and him getting hurt last year. Uh, Peyton Wilson on defense is tremendous on that side of the ball. I just there's something about NC State that I never quite buy into each year. I think that when you look at NC State, they're in such a unique position because they like okay. Well, first of all, their path to anything always has to go through Clemson. That's just life in the Atlantic, and that's just life for all of these teams. But for them to get to an ACC championship, you can basically kind of pencil in it's not going to happen for them so long as, as Clemson is still there. But then also now you've got North Carolina building, and even though they're not in your in your division, you're now battling Mac Brown for recruits. And so I just I think they're in such a uniquely tough spot because they're they're not they're not the king of the Atlantic, and right now they're not the king of North Carolina either. And so as long as you have those two things working against you, I just I don't know how high the ceiling can be. 
Yeah, it, it's a tough spot to be in, everybody in that Atlantic division, because you're judged against Clemson and how mm-hmm. you do. Uh, another interesting team, Boston College. And uh, mm-hmm. when I was chatting with you before this, you had the hot take that you think Phil Jerkovic is very underrated. Uh, have at it. I mean, he was he was pretty good last year, but do you think he's underrated from his uh, 25-58 passing yards, 17 touchdowns last year? Yeah, I mean, I just think that, well, I saw, I probably saw the ver- a version of Boston College that, that not a lot of other people saw just because of how they played Clemson. Um, but I think the way that he, like, the what he accomplished, considering that we were in a pandemic year, he was a transfer, they had a new system, they had a new coach, I was just, I was just impressed by him. And I, I think Boston College as a whole is, is a sleeper. I, what did they, where, where did they end up? They were third behind NC State? Um, they were third, correct. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, I think Nicole Auerbach was the one who did our Boston College Day of the program. Just looking at their numbers, they have 100% of passing yards, 55% of rushing yards, 100% of their offensive line starts, 76% of their receiving yards. Like, there's not a single category statistically in our Boston College Day of the program that is not green. There's not a single red on there. And I just think that what Halfley is building has been really impressive and and you know, we're hopefully out of the pandemic in a way that this time a year ago we were not. So I'm really curious to see kind of where they go and what that next step looks like for them. It's an interesting program because I was looking this up. They haven't won eight games since 2009. This has just been a perpetual six, seven win program at its max. It's always sort of hitting its head on that ceiling. I guess that was sort of the Steve Adazio way was get to six wins, seven wins and and call (laughs) it a year. That's why he's no longer coaching there. And I, you know, I think Jeff Halfley did a tremendous job with how we did last year. I mean, we, we when we talk about Florida State, we'll get to them in a second here. Everybody talks about, wow, Mike Norvell didn't have a first offseason. Well, neither did Jeff Halfley. And BC did pretty well. Right. And granted, right. Jeff Halfley was able to bring in a quarterback that stabilized that whole situation. A couple things strange about BC that's maybe, uh, you know, not quite what their history is. Uh, they couldn't run the ball last year. It was weird. 3.1 yards per carry. That was 117th nationally. Uh, Obviously, they could throw the ball pretty well. But for a while there, that was all Boston College could do was run the ball. They could not (laughs) throw the ball. They had this tremendous (laughs) offensive line. That was sort of their identity. Uh, The other side of it, I'm still not quite sold on the defense. I know Halfley is a defensive guy. Uh, They lose some linebackers, Isaiah McDuffie, Max Richardson, that were uh, really sort of stalwart guys in in there for a long time. So... Uh, I may be a little skeptical that BC can make that huge jump, but I think with Jerkovic, uh they're just a dangerous team because you never want to go against a quarterback like that. I, I think as Clemson saw last year, they can play pretty well and, and maybe come up and surprise you. Uh, I mentioned Florida State, and that's one that's an interesting team that might draw some debate uh, from people on just how good this team is. I don't quite think the Seminoles are there yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people are looking at this team going, oh, you know, give Norvell some time and he's going to put this together and they're really going to start showing this year. Uh, I'm not quite a believer yet. I'm curious what that. your thought is. Do you think this year is a year that they can make significant process or not? I'm also not quite a believer yet. I mean, granted, I did not see them in person. Clemson, and, well, you, we all Cancellation know Cancellation fiasco. We, we know that whole story. Um, but yeah, and, and I think that that's a really good point that you made about Halfley and Norvell. Like they, they both came in to a pandemic, new, new seasons or whatever. And so of course, I think we have to give 
all these coaches cut him a little slack given everything that we saw in 2020, but I'm also not quite there with Florida State. I mean, I don't know. Didn't they bring two quarterbacks to ACC kickoff? They did. That, that yeah, was an interesting was approach. Like, Jordan Travis and like, Mackenzie Milton. What are we doing here? Yeah. Well, I'll I say that, I mean, that's two more than they would have thought they had last year because that was the issue. True. They were always <laughs> rotating quarterbacks. They get to the end of the year, and Jordan Travis looks like a really good runner. You question whether how, much, how good of a passer he is. And then Mackenzie Milton obviously questions about his knee uh, from that right. devastating injury it suffered a couple years ago. Uh, I think the fact that they have two guys that they like like that, I, I know the phrase, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, but Florida State legitimately had no quarterbacks last year. That was one of its <laughs> biggest problems. I think the fact that they have two that they maybe sort of like is a step in the right direction. I would think, yeah. Maybe sort of like, though, is like – I don't know if you're a coach. Do you want to? Don't you want to feel a little strong, more strongly about that than eh, maybe sort of like him? He's all right. I would think so, but considering how bad Florida State has been in recent <laughs> years, I think they will take so that. Low. And yeah. you know, there's questions in the offensive line, the defense, which has always been pretty good there. The bottom sort of fell out last year on that. Thirty-six points per game, four hundred fifty-six yards per game. They were thirteenth in the ACC in both of those, and you just don't see Florida State. Uh, at that point but then you look at the the recruiting class that Norvell's put together I think they're top 10 uh, this year but obviously that's in the future none none of that applies for this year so I'm curious I I look at the schedule they play Notre Dame they play Clemson they play Miami they play North Carolina they play Florida I mean that's five losses there I would imagine people think they might be frisky against Notre Dame in the opener I I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case Uh, if you've got five almost you know for sure losses on the schedule that's tough to get the bowl eligible to get the six and six if you're starting in that kind of hole right right yeah I mean I don't I don't know and I don't know how because I don't know like how long do we give Norville like what how do we evaluate him I, I don't know I don't know the answer to that question either like how long does it take okay if if we're circling all these losses this year then what dramatically changes between this year and next year. And then, of course, you build recruiting-wise. But and that's been the thing. I started covering Clemson, you know, right as Jimbo was leaving. So it seems like every single year, Florida State has all these athletes. They're they're crushing Clemson in the recruiting rankings. Dabo has said that many, many times. Like, recruiting-wise, they, they've kicked Clemson's butt historically. But, like, when do they put it together? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think if you're a Florida State fan right now, what you'd like to see is progress. And maybe not right. necessarily winning those games, but you can't get blown out by Miami again. Uh, right. You know, you can't allow Clemson to pick the score when you're playing them. Uh, you know, FSU had that big win against UNC last year, but then followed it up with, you know, struggles for most of the rest of the year. So I, th- I think they just need to show progress, and that it might be tough to define wins, losses this year, because mm-hmm. I think that team could show progress and not necessarily do much better in the win column. We have two teams left to hit real quick. Uh, Louisville. Yeah, I saw Louisville last year that played a close game. It was kind of a blowout early against Virginia Tech, and then all of a sudden Louisville closed the gap at the end of the year. That was a team that was very strange. It went eight and four two years ago, four and seven last year. A lot of bad luck with that team. They were minus twelve in turnover margin. That was the second worst nationally. Four and zero in one score games in twenty nineteen. 0-3 in those kind of games last year. And that sort of normalizes a little bit. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on Louisville. You see them. Uh, every year as well. Uh, do you think this is a team that can rebound at all this year? I don't know. I mean, 
I think that we we were all surprised. I don't know if surprised is the right word, but Satterfield had a really strong, I thought, debut, eight and five, encouraging run. And then last year they go four and seven. Um, I think that what fascinates me about Louisville and maybe I don't I don't know, maybe it's unfair to bring this up, but just the whole like they're just their whole program fascinates me, especially after the is he interested in South Carolina? Is he not? Then he puts out a a, a Twitter note. Like just I I don't I wanna know what does that look like with chemistry? What does it look like with recruiting? Obviously I know I'm talking beyond twenty twenty one at this point, but it just felt like such a weird situation and then almost nothing went right for them. In 2020, Clemson goes there this year. The last time Clemson was there, I think they hung close to 70 on them. Um, so I don't know. I'm just I'm like as as interested big picture in this program as I am this season alone. If that makes any sense, it feels like there must be something in the water with Louisville coaches having a wandering eye. I mean, Bobby Petrino <laughs> did that years ago, where you know the whole Jetgate thing with Auburn and, and looking around, and then he left for the the Falcons. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a strange move on Satterfield's part. I'm curious to see uh, if he can regain the trust there and all the players are, are bought back in uh, with him as the head coach because I think he's a really good coach. I mean, he was great at Appalachian State. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they get Malik Cunningham back. They lose a lot of their skill guys, Tutu Atwell, right. Des Fitzpatrick, uh, Javian Hawkins that made that offense special. But I, I think they can replace some of those guys and maybe, uh, you know, just sort of a, a return to normal in terms of some of the luck with turnovers and close games could get them uh, back competitive this year. One last team to hit, and this was everybody's consent, you know, unanimous seventh-place team in, <laughs> in the division is Syracuse. And I have to admit, I'm a little baffled by Syracuse's trajectory where a couple years ago, 2018, they're 10-3. and three. Dino Babers has this offense that looks like it's going to take the ACC by storm. It's pace. Nobody can catch up to it. And then they dropped a five and seven. Then they're one and ten last year, and the offense was terrible. The seventeen point eight points per game was last in the ACC. Uh, it's such a weird program to look at, where you thought this was just going to be this super offense forever, and then the last couple of years they haven't had a quarterback really do anything. They haven't been able to protect him. They haven't been able to run the ball very well. Uh, I'm at a loss to figure out what happened. I'm curious your perspective on it. Yeah, when I look at Syracuse, I mean. My first season on the beat was when they beat Clemson in the Carrier Dome and Dabo goes into the locker room and it's this whole thing. And so that's kind of the Syracuse that I got introduced to. I'm not sure who the Syracuse that I now know <laughs> what what that is, but I, I agree. It just, it feels baffling. It feels like two, three years ago, Babers is one of the hottest names in coaching. I'm wondering, is he going to take a bigger job? Are they going to keep building? They have a 10-win season. And then just, I don't want to say the sky is falling, but the sky kind of kind of did fall. And they're, well, I'm looking at their um, 202 points in this Atlantic Division voting. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a very confusing team. I, I don't know what they look like in, in 2021, but I think the good news is they really can only 
go up. I don't I don't think they look any worse than they did a season ago. That's not a good spot to be in the program <laughs> where the, the 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 outlook is nowhere to go but up. This was a I quote. Mean, this was a quote for uh, an assistant ACC coach. Matt Gutierrez wrote the uh, state of the program for them. Assistant ACC coach says we look at them as a free win week and a chance to try stuff out, regroup, get younger guys involved in the second half. That is a damning statement. That about is the program. Brutal. Uh, that that's a JV like level quote slash team. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one uh, to pull out of. Uh, here's here's wondering if Syracuse can turn it around, and if not, you wonder if if Babers is long for that job uh, this year. If you if you're looking for coaches on the hot seat, certainly in the Atlantic Division, I think you'd look directly at him. Well, Grace, you are no stranger to having a team look at uh, getting younger players in the game early on and trying some different things out in in, in, a, in the second half because that's what Clemson seems to do every time it plays <laughs> any of these opponents uh, that they play. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and, and breaking down the division for you. Uh, we'll have to talk to you again, especially uh, before this Georgia-Clemson opener. Uh, we should be looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks to Grace for coming on the podcast this week, breaking down Clemson Forest, the Atlantic Division. You should all go follow her on Twitter. She's at GM Rayner. That's R-A-Y-N-O-R. Uh, does a fabulous job covering Clemson. Uh, just enjoy her stories all the time on a program that's always in the national focus there. We're going to come back next week and do this same thing with the Coastal Division. So don't think that we're leaving out the Coastal Division teams here. We'll get the whole league covered, uh, find another Coastal Division uh, representative guest to come on and talk about that side of the league. So that's going to do it for this show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you haven't yet, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. That helps us get the word out about the podcast, gets us some more listeners. We always like that. If you have not yet, please go subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on there. You also get access to all of our great sports writing on there. In every sport. It's not just college football. It's not just one team. It's every single sport. Go to theathletic.com slash pod uh, for the best deal we have going right now. If you haven't yet, go follow me. I'm on Twitter at AndyBitterVT. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.